New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Andrea Donsky and I'm here with Lisa Davis. Say hello, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. <laughs> but I'm bumped. <laughs> hey, Andrea. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I can't That's resist. Awesome. You know I'm a goof. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, today we have a very interesting guest because we are going to be talking to Morgan McKean. She's an intuitive empath and a specialist. She specializes in narcissism and abusive relationships. So we thought we would speak to Morgan. Morgan, welcome to Naturally Savvy Radio. Thank you so much for having me on today, ladies. Well, what you do is extremely interesting. So I would love, first of all, to explain what what an intuitive empath is, and then also how you came to specializing in narcissism and abusive relationships. So give us a little bit of a background about yourself. Sure. Okay. So I was born an intuitive empath. And the best way that I can explain that to people is very much like a psychic. I'm clairvoyant, clairsentient, um, clairaudient, which basically means all of the senses that we were born with, mine are kind of like on steroids. So the same way that you could go to the grocery store and see someone in front of you who maybe has 20 items in the 10 items or less express lane, and you can tell you really don't want to call them on it because there's something not quite right. Well, for me, not only do I notice there's something not quite right, I can tell you whether or not they just got fired, they're getting a divorce with their wife, you know, whatever's going on, because I can just read them. And an impasse, to add to the intuition, is somebody who actually can feel other people's emotions. So not only can I sense what's going on with you, but my ability to empathize is almost so loud or so big that I can't always tell where the other person ends and I begin, which was hugely wow. detrimental to me as a child. Oh, I bet. That must have been really difficult. And it you probably was, didn't have the language to explain it, right? When you were a kid? No, no, I didn't. And here, here's the second part to answer your question, Andrea. So the best that I can tell, I was raised by two narcissists. I'm only going to speak about my father because my mom is still with us on planet Earth. Um, so my dad was a bipolar narcissist alcoholic. And what happens oh is it's very common spiritually, which I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole today, for an empath to have narcissistic parents because it's part of our soul's journey to learn. But aside from my childhood experiences, which made me a prime target for narcissists as a grown-up, because obviously our childhood programming dictates quite a bit of how we respond to the world around us as a grown-up, I picked more narcissistic people as a grown-up. And as I would navigate these relationships, I kind of became an expert between my studies in spirituality, the human potential movement, and, so, and being born this way and my actual real-life experiences with narcissists and other people on the B-cluster spectrum, I've become rather an expert over the last 20 years in it. Hmm. Well, what is a narcissist? That is a good question. So narcissists, unlike what we're using in everyday jargon today, you know, in pop culture, social media, anybody who wants their picture sure. taken all the time is a narcissist. And while that's kind of cute and fun, that's not really what it is. Though people could be considered somewhere on the spectrum if they need their pictures every day in order to feel okay about themselves. But real narcissism is a cluster B mental disorder. 
in which the person has not developed their emotional maturity beyond the age of, let's say, two to three years old, or they are emotionally stunted. Now, there is research, which I happen to concur with, that says that narcissism is also a genetic mutation, that there are parts in the brain that people who tend to use narcissism as a coping mechanism to childhood abuse actually are missing parts of the gray matter in the brain that light up during empathetic situations. In other words, their empathy buttons are missing. So what I often say is a narcissist is someone who is missing parts of their soul. They have no ability to self-cope. They have no ability to self-sustain. They have no real identity. They have no remorse and they have no empathy. And to make it quick, they are on the cluster B personality disorders for those of your listeners who like to do their research. Before the examples, would you say that there's a spectrum of narcissism, for example, mild to, you know, more severe? Absolutely. There is a complete spectrum for narcissism. So before I get into the spectrum, let me preface it by saying every healthy person who has healthy self-esteem and confidence has a certain level of narcissism. So there's a certain level of narcissism that is healthy. It's what makes us get straight A's, go for the job, excel at a new creative project that makes us want to be special or stand out. So please don't misunderstand. Narcissism is, you know, appropriate in the right amount. Now that said, the spectrum is wide. And I'd say the most severe being your sociopathic or malignant narcissist. And that is the person that movie characters are written about. You know, the one that we see that can do like the 10-year con job where he's got like all the players, you know, siphoning the money in. Or, you know, those things that we hear like money scams. Like, you know, I don't remember the whole thing, but like the Bernie Madoff scam where we hear in the news that this guy rips people off that he's known for years. Those are the kind of people that are on the sociopathic malignant spectrum. And they can do anything to anyone and literally not skip a beat. These are like, you know, the guns for hire that we see in movies. More on the middle ground would be celebrities. There's quite a few celebrities, whether it be people that are politics, whether it be athletes or, you know, recording artists. Those people who seem to be really passionate about their projects, say like a Kanye or a Kim Kardashian, you know, they're all about putting out the latest thing and they're really passionate, but yet they're really blind, blind when it comes to you know, what a gallon of milk costs for the average person when they, you know, throw out their advice for life. They, they're totally callous. They have no idea. They're lacking that empathy. That's kind of that middle ground that we see, I would say, are your more look-at-me, look-at-me celebrities who don't really give back, don't do much, and, and they forget that the rest of the world doesn't live like them. And then, again, you've got your most mild, which what I would say, and I, I kind of tease, and I'm not teasing them specifically, but, like, I call it your Instagram models. You know, the girls who've got, like, all of 20 to 500 followers, and when they're out shooting pictures, they act like, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, they've got to take the picture. They act like they're Cindy Crawford from back in the supermodel days. So I think that, you know, those three points would give you a really good grasp on, you know, what that spectrum is. And again, for the record, everybody with healthy self-esteem has a certain level of narcissism. Hmm. That's an interesting point. So I would guess we need that certain level of narcissism to give us that self-confidence. So it's, I guess it's that line that's crossed that brings it from healthy to not so healthy. Absolutely. And as you, as I, I was saying, there's also research and studies that say that the people who are full-blown or are not, you know, far into the spectrum, actually there's a physical mutation to their brain, that the gray matter is actually missing 
smaller or whatnot. And as an intuitive, I kind of feel my way through this, but I've, re- I've researched enough data to see that there are enough studies that conclude that this is very probable. But there are also studies that say not. So I don't want to give an absolute, but my intuition says it's true and there's data that says it's true. So keep in mind, when you come across somebody at that level, as much as they may appear normal, as much as they may have intellectually grown, you are basically dealing with someone who has the emotional maturity of a two to three-year-old, max five. Wow, that is scary. Uh, by the way, Morgan, you're still beeping every now and then. So just to be aware, I don't know why or if your chin is hitting it or something, but just to just want to let you know. So how do you know if you're dating someone like this? What are some of the telltale signs? I mean, I think people think they're, you know, always posting selfies and I'm the biggest narcissist there is, although I have cut way back. Now. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm not abusive. But what are some of the signs? Okay, so as I was saying, one of the first things is about noticing that they don't have empathy or remorse. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that you can pick up really quickly in conversations or whatnot is to see how they respond to things socially. So I give an example of my own experience. The last narcissist that I dated would go overboard when it came to babies. And the first time he did it, I thought, oh, how sweet. You know, I'm dating this man who loves kids. He has a kid. I have a kid. This is all lovely and wonderful. But after like the fifth or sixth time of him going overboard, I was like, this is really weird. Like he's going overboard like a woman whose uterus is like t- time is clock is clicking. Like this is just crazy. <laughs> and then and then what I started to notice is there were a lot of other social interactions where his response was more textbook than sincere. And I would notice mm-hmm. in conversations with him that, you know, he would say he was going to do something and not. But that can all take a little bit of time. What you can notice right away, like within the first few dates, is by like date three, they want to marry you. You know, they want to be your soulmate. They're already mirroring back to you all of these things about you. And it almost seems for you, the person, it's too good to be true. Now, we're all grown up, you know, for the most part. And if someone thinks that they're going to want to marry us at 35, 40, 45 and whatnot after three dates, there's something up. You know, either they don't have a life, there's a reason, there's, there's something. You've got to slow down the relationship if someone is moving it fast, because if they're moving it this fast, there's something wrong, and most likely they're a narcissist, because this is actually one of the four stages of narcissistic abuse, which is called love bombing. And you can do a lot of research on love bombing, but love bombing is, in essence, what I was just saying. It is the proclamation and commitment right off the bat to get you hooked. It's mirroring your likes and dislikes immediately to make you think that you found a soulmate or a partner or, or whatnot. It's too compatible, too fast, and social interactions are very contrived, and they're not sincere. And it will take a while, because at first you're going to think that the person is just very charismatic. You know, that is one thing that a lot of grandiose narcissists, yes, there are different spectrums, and, and we can talk about that, but the more stereotypical one is the charmer. You know, so it can take a little bit of time to figure it out, because they tend to keep the, the conversation surface and charming for a while anyway. If you notice there's a lack of depth, if you notice things are going too fast, if you notice things seem contrived and you notice there's little remorse or asking you what you want, what restaurant you want, how fast you want the car to go, chances are you've got someone who's on the spectrum. Okay. So do they, so they're basically lying to get you involved with them? Is that it? And then it becomes about them because it, I, I just clarify that a little bit, sure, what their absolutely. motivation so, is. Yeah. Sure. So a narcissist does not see people as people. 
So as I was saying in the beginning, oh. narcissists are missing those internal parts of them that are able to say, hey, I get good grades. I must be smart. Hey, I get the ball in the basket. I must be a good athlete. They need that outside validation. So what they're looking for is something called supply. That's what that's called. Supply can be in the form of sex, money, fame, whatever it is. They're looking for supply. And how they see people is very much like what I was saying, how their emotional maturity is like a three to five-year-old. So they see people like toys or appliances, like you take a kid to the toy store and they see all the toys. And they pick one out that looks appropriate, the shiny new object. And the reason they pick you nine times out of ten is because you're animated, you emote, you think they're great, you're buying their story. Okay, maybe you don't think they're great, but their story is great. You know, the one that they're selling you on is fabulous. And you're emoting for them all of this supply. So what I often say is that narcissists don't see people as people, they see them as appliances or like toys. And what happens is they take you shiny ball and they play with you and they get everything that they can out of you. And very much like a child puts away the new toy because they get bored, so does the narcissist. And that's why many times, speaking specifically to romantic relationships, um, they have multiple people and they're always overlapping them because they know innately that they're going to get bored. They may not know they're a narcissist, but they do know they get bored. And so innately, they're always mm -hmm. seeking new supply. And this new supply targeted, one of the biggest signs of being targeted for a narcissist is animation, emoting, easily accessible emotions, kind person, you know, big hearted, integrity, empathic, basically all of the things that they're not. Hmm. Oh, wow. You know, so... What, I guess my question, Morgan, would be is, you know, these narcissists, when they attach that, well, we can call it attach themselves to people. You know, you're saying that these people emote. Why would these people attract these, these you know, narcissists in the first place? So as it relates to romantic relationships and even business relationships and really all relationships, but I'm just going to stick to the two main ones of our life of professional and romantic. The reason why usually is not the actual targeting, but the reason that you're allowed to say. The narcissist targets anybody who they think will emote for them, will give them supply. Where the attachment comes is on us. It is our responsibility. It is the lack of self-worth or programming somewhere in us that they latch onto that makes us feel we have to earn the accolades that we got in the beginning during the love bombing phase. They become critical, and something called trauma bonding happens with the inner minute sustainment of reward and punishment. So if I'm punishing you, punishing you, and then giving you a reward, you're going to work harder for that reward. That's what children does. You know, they don't want to be punished. They want the reward system. So a narcissist sets up in the beginning, again, whether professionally or romantically, to make their target, you, their clients or supply, feel like the greatest thing since sliced bread. That is the targeting. That is the love bombing. That is, you know, if it's professional, you're the greatest thing. I can see your name in lights. And if you're a romantic partner, you know, you're my soulmate. And what happens is you end up feeling so good, it ends up filling a place inside of you that's missing, empty, broken, fragile, raw, something that allows them to attach to that part of you. And then they remove it from you. And you're like, where's that? Where, where, where am I, where's my cheerleader? Where's that person that was reflecting that back? So then you start working harder 
to get that love bombing that happens in the beginning. You start working harder to get those, you know, accolades or hits of dopamine they were giving you in the beginning, and they know it, and that's when the tables start to turn. Hmm. So is there a way to help people like this? I guess for a parent, let's say for somebody who's dating a narcissist or let's say a parent who thinks that like you're saying it's genetic. So in your case, you said you had two parents that were narcissists, but then you're not. So how do you, I guess my, I guess my question is, is how would you stop it? How do you become aware of it? Can you help people? I have like all these questions in my head. <laughs> sure. Okay. So <clears throat> there's a few parts in there. So first thing is, if you're involved in the situation, you need to understand the four phases of narcissistic abuse so you can identify if you're in them. So first is the love bombing that I just spoke about, which is like the over-adulation, the over-adoration mm -hmm. where it's just like too good to be true. Then comes the devaluing phase, which is you're no longer the shiny object. It's when they start criticizing you or telling you you're not good enough or in romantic relationships, you know, the, the criticism or the silent treatment or those kind of things start coming up. And then the discard fade happens where, you know, they've moved on to the other person. So they're like not returning your text for a few days or whatnot because they're nurturing this new person. And then they've fully gone like they've disappeared on you. And then, of course, the new person is sooner or later becomes no longer the shiny object. And they do what's called hoovering. And that's where they come back and act like they miss you, but they don't. They're just coming back for some more supply because like a child remembers an old toy that might give them a little bit of pleasure. They remember you thinking you might give them a little pleasure. And that's how you hear about people who get stuck in these abuse cycles for years with these people because they get stuck in the discard Hoover, discard Hoover. So if you find yourself there, in order to get out, you must do something called no contact. And no contact is just like what it sounds. You have to remove all ability for them to contact you, which means block social media, block your phone, block your email, block your address, no return to sender, everything. And for you, it means block them from you. Block every place that you can see them because you are now addicted through the trauma bonding, which is how that cycle of abuse continues. People get stuck because they don't realize they're addicted. You're not just in a bad relationship. You just stop. You're not just struggling to get over some guy. You are becoming a love addict. You are in trauma bonding. So that's that question. Your other question about the parents with the kids what it is, is if you are born this way, hopefully you have parents that don't trigger that as a child. There are people born with the tendencies with the missing gray matter, but they are fortunate enough on their soul's journey to end up with parents who don't trigger that. And those people often become what we call like good business people who are shrewd, to answer your question. They, they, those people exist. They were not triggered into narcissism, but we might say they're little on the spectrum, you know, a little bit, but, you know, they're what we call like the shrewd business people who can make the tough calls. Um, if you are triggered, one or two things happen. You either yourself become a narcissist or what happens to you is like what happened to me. You become codependent. You become enmeshed in your parents' identity of you. You have no identity of your own. When you speak your own mind, they tell you you're wrong. Your dreams are pie in the sky. You're never going to amount to anything. So on and so forth. It's enough where I could cry if I keep talking to you because that's how I was raised. And what happened for me, as Andrea knows, is I became the wounded healer. Because I would never, ever, ever let someone feel that way again. So it really depends on the recipient. For me, 
being an empath and an intuitive, how I took my parents was not to fight back or become like them, but that it was my fault that they didn't love me, that it was my fault that I wasn't good enough, that it was my fault that I was a disappointment. So starting from a very, very young age, I was guiding people in their relationships when I was 10. I am now 43. So for 33 years, I have been guiding other people so that no one ever felt as awful as I did. Hmm. You know, Morgan, you know, we could, you know, hear your you know, your passion, but also, you know, your sadness. And that's what makes you a, you know, a, being able to help other people. That's what helps you heal other people and take them through their journey and be able to, for you to understand it, right? For you to empathize, empathize with them. So Morgan, can you tell people if they want to learn more? I mean, first of all, we want to have you back on because it's such an incredibly oh, eye-opening conversation and it's so interesting and, you know, so new to me, and Lisa, I don't know if it's new to you, but so new to me. Um, I would love you to tell people where they can find out more information about you, Morgan. Okay. So the best place to find me is actually on Facebook and Instagram because I am there daily. And I am on both as Morgan B, as in Butterfly, McKean, and that's M-C-K-E-A-N. I post on each daily. And on Facebook, I actually have a free private support group called Heal the Hurt. So if you go to Facebook and you put Heal the Hurt support group, it will come up. And I do have a blog where I do keep information like how to go no contact, how to use the gray rock method. And you can find that at www.beingmorgan.com. Okay. Morgan, thank you so much. And I'm just going to give a big shout out to our sponsor for today, which is Nature Care. Nature Care makes amazing organic and natural feminine hygiene products that are much healthier choices for us when it comes to tampons and pads. So for all you men who are listening, yes, this has to do with you too. And of course, for all the women and um, teens listening, please choose Nature Care. And you can learn more at naturecare.com. Morgan, thank you so much for being on our show Today, we will definitely have you back. And for all of you who are listening, have a terrific day. I'm Andrea Donsky, along with Lisa Davis, and you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Like us on all social media at Naturally Savvy, at Andrea Donsky, at Radio MD, and at Health Media Gal One. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay well.